are listening to True Crime Fiction, feeding your addiction to the best of the written and the spoken word in crime. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so for as little as £1 at patreon.com slash truecrimefiction. The first autobiography in the English language was written by a woman. Marjorie Kemp, who lived from 1376 to 1438 in Kings Lynn, England, and was famed as a mystic. At a time when literacy was scarce, it's uncertain if Kemp had an education or could read. She had, however, learned some texts by heart and probably had scribes write her life down as she dictated it. What is even more surprising for a female mystic of the time is that she was not in holy orders. Like many of the women of the time, she was married and trod the perilous and life-threatening path of motherhood. After the birth of her first child, she went through a period that many interpret as postpartum psychosis. PPP is a condition and it's serious. It needs to be treated like a medical emergency. It can cause hallucinations and delusions, mania and depression. It's important that specialists treat the condition. For Kemp, though, there was no psychiatric mother and baby unit and her PPP appears to have lasted for the best part of a year, something that would take its toll on anyone. Kemp continues to have visions of a religious nature, which includes conversations with Jesus and attending the crucifixion and nativity. She also hallucinated smells and sounds and was given to fits of uncontrollable weeping. To a modern day ear, this sounds like a continuation of the postpartum psychosis. To the medieval mind, it was a sign that Kemp was a mystic and had a special relationship with God. This, however, did not stop those who knew Kemp from finding her extremely annoying, and she was imprisoned and threatened with rape and tried for heresy. Some academics are now arguing that perhaps Kemp's autobiography is fictional rather than factual. They suggest she was, in fact, using the story of her life as a way to examine societal trends as the church tried to pull people towards more orthodoxy while in daily life people were exploring different ways of having faith. If we look at the latest woman to publish an autobiography, we can see some parallels between her and Kemp. Listening to Britney Spears' autobiography, The Woman and Me, it is clear to see that she was most likely suffering from postnatal depression. And public meltdowns led to the conservatorship being placed on her. A conservatorship is typically used when someone is having difficulty making decisions. For instance, an adult with dementia may start finding it challenging to pay bills or keep up with the rent and mortgage payments, meaning that they are in a precarious position when it comes to the very basics of life. It is therefore totally reasonable that a family member or close friend step in and make sure the person can still continue to live in a healthy and cared for way. 
the equivalent in Britain would be power of attorney. While the conservatorship is necessary in many situations, the length and terms of Spears' conservatorship, which was overseen by her father, Jamie Spears, is unusual. It was a massive infringement on her human rights. Her reproductive choices were taken away, echoing an earlier incident where a living partner made her feel forced to have an abortion and basic choices that we would all expect to be able to make about ourselves once out of childhood were no longer hers to make. Since the release of the autobiography, Spears's ex-team says that the public are not aware of her medical problems, and there is some talk that she may have been diagnosed with bipolar. While bipolar disorder can certainly be severe in its presentation, It is totally possible to have bipolar disorder and with the right support and medication live life as a fully independent adult. In essence, Jamie Spears, through the application of modern law, managed to bring back the insane asylum, but only for one person and seemingly surrounded by luxury. What is fascinating is that Jamie's father, June, treated his own wives the same way. One who was sad after her child died, something that most people would really struggle to cope with emotionally, was committed and put on lithium. She eventually completed suicide. One could take it as an ignorant age, which was yet to find compassion for mental health problems, until June Spears' second wife was also committed, and it starts to look less like a human flaw and more like a form of coercive control. His treatment of his son, although not including taking away his liberty, was unduly harsh, and one has to wonder what terrible lessons Jamie Spears learned from this man. His alcoholism certainly hints that it was not anything good. It wasn't only the postnatal depression that had probably contributed to Spears' mental health problems. There was a childhood of poverty, partly due to her father's alcoholism and then the pressure of young stardom at the time when women's bodies were considered public property and America became particularly concerned with the state of Spears' hymen. It is clear from her autobiography that for most of her life, Spears was considered a means to an end by other people, the end most often being money and the power that went with it. Still others who had no way of directly benefiting from Spears' star quality appeared to use her as a vessel in which to pour their fears and project their worst impulses. Spears essentially became a totem for America's inability to come to terms either with women or their sexuality. When Spears became a mother, it was still open season on her. This, though, should not really come as a surprise to anyone. Mothers have always faced a huge amount of scrutiny from conception onwards from people who do not know them at all and feel they have the right to tell them what they are doing wrong and give their unsolicited opinions, all while women are going through what will probably be the most demanding and draining time of their life. In many ways, Spears' life, like Kemp's, is a way of examining the attitudes of society which is lurching between orthodox and liberal belief systems. And in her autobiography, it appears as though she's finally taking control of herself and her own narrative. 
So where is the crime? The conservatorship closely mirrored the crime in Britain of coercive control. This is the way in which victims of domestic abuse are controlled, which stops short of violence, taking somebody's phone, controlling their finances, controlling their body, isolating them from friends and families and stopping them from working. Of course, like all laws, it is not perfect. And while in the countries of the United Kingdom recognise how domestic abuse exists on a continuum and that it's better to catch these things early, it can be frustratingly hard for anyone to prove coercive control. The newness of the crime and the difficulties that plague any of the so-called domestic crimes from the moment a woman considers reporting means that there have been very few convictions. Although Spears v Spears feels a lot like coercive control, it isn't. The conservatorship, although abused by Jamie Spears, had still gone through the legal process in California, where Spears lived at the time, and a judge had signed off on it. Legal systems are very slow to admit to a mistake. Follow the story of any case where there has been a miscarriage of justice, and you will see that there is a long way in prison for those who are innocent while they try to exonerate themselves. So it seems unlikely that Jamie Spears will be arrested for being in a position which the legal system had appointed him to. However, while Jamie was conservator, it is reported that he bugged Brittany. He surveilled her and read phone messages, also recording calls. This does break the law and the FBI are currently considering if they will bring charges in 2024. It may be the Free Britney movement will see their heroine get her day in court and there are many who think a jailing of Jamie Spears will be natural justice given how he took his daughter's freedom from her. In the meantime, while we all wait for the outcome of what is going to happen, Brittany is left to pick up the pieces of her life, which will probably be all the more challenging as she has, through her child's stardom and the conservatorship, missed out on many of the experiences that help us develop as individuals and become more mature. Still, it appears that while the story has not yet concluded, Brittany is still being used as a vessel for those who project onto her. This time, though, rather than consuming their fears and mirroring them back, she is consuming people's hope the hope that women can live independently and free from abuse, the hope that those who abuse us do face the consequences of their actions, and the hope that mental health problems will stop being used as a weapon against us, and instead those of us who need it can get the support and kindness that they need. You have been listening to True Crime Fiction, the podcast that is feeding your addiction to all things crime. You can find our website at true-crime-fiction.com, on Twitter at true underscore crime underscore fic, on Facebook and Instagram as True Crime Fiction. Please rate and review on the podcast app of your choice. Music is by Kitty Kitty Meow Meow.